As I come back to you this Sunday, I've been away two Sundays. I haven't been away. I've been here listening to Pastor Mel teach about uh, astronomy and science and all this stuff. So I started doing my own little research. Can you take the lights down? Okay, I'm going to be honest. I sent this PowerPoint to Pastor Mel and said, what are these things? And he said, well, some of them are galaxies that you can see, and some of them are the remnants of exploding stars. And he said, uh, some of them have been colorized so we can see kind of the depth and outline of what's there, but they are captured by the Hubble telescope. And I just want you to just kind of get an idea of some of what's out there that you can really only capture through Hubble. Um, this is the remnants, of, apparently, of, a, uh, of an exploding star. This is, uh, has been called a horse head somewhere out there in deep space. That's the, at least the shape that it takes on. Uh, we can see galaxies uh, as the Hubble telescope goes by and captures pictures. Sometimes they're colliding galaxies. And in the heart of the Whirlpool galaxy, uh, they snapped a picture and they saw that. And uh, I asked Pastor Mel about this, and he said he had never seen it before, but he verified it on the NASA website. And some of you have seen this image before because Louis Giglio went around in the indescribable tour with the song by Chris Tomlin, and he showed some of these incredible pictures of just what's out there in deep space. Now, I want you to know something. The God that you serve is the one who made all of these things. The universe is so massive. It is so mathematically overwhelming. It is imbued with so much glory and power. I can't even begin to wrap my brain around it. Light years and stars and galaxies and things that are untapped out there and the Bible says the one that made it all is the God of the Bible. But wonder of wonders, it doesn't stop there because what we're going to study this morning is we're not going to talk about stars and we're not going to talk about things that are beneath the surface of the ocean, things that are so incredible and majestic that when you watch shows about that stuff and you see the color variations and the size of these sea creatures, by the way, that Genesis says God made, even the book of Job records them. Uh, there's been a big debate about dinosaurs and geologic ages. Let me just tell you something, because I've done my own homework on dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, dinosaur, the word was coined uh, only about 100 years ago. Before, they were really known as dragons. Job, 30, Job 41, Job 38 makes reference, Job 41, and then a passing reference in, in Genesis. But here's the thing. They have pulled stuff out of the ocean in the last century that they don't even know how to categorize. There's some photos that, are, that exist of things that were pulled out of the ocean that scientists said look like a dinosaur, but they couldn't call it a dinosaur because dinosaurs are supposed to be extinct millions and millions of years ago, and it doesn't fit into the so-called geologic ages, which is a farce anyway. But the majesty of God's creation, 
The one thing that's been made in his image is not stars or sea creatures or any of those things. It's people. And the tragedy is that in the news, it's been now coming out that Planned Parenthood, as heinous as what they do actually is, is now selling parts on the open market to the highest bidder. And there's questions being raised about whether or not they'll even be investigated for what they are doing that's been captured on tape, people eating salads and drinking wine and talking about parts. We've so devalued what God said was the jewel of his creation that we've lost our way. And now some guy who killed a lion in Africa, and I'm not saying what he did was right, but he's gonna be investigated and potentially indicted. But Planned Parenthood gets millions of dollars of government money, by the way, your tax money, to support what they do. Now, I'm not condemning anybody because we've all made our mistakes and that is not my point. But my point is, folks, we have lost our moral compass because what the Bible says is made in God's image is humanity. And the word image in Hebrew is salam and it means to cast a shadow. It means that that which reflects God to humanity and everyone who witnesses it, whether it's your children, grandchildren, or the rest of creation is mankind made in the image of almighty God, filled with the joy <laughs> of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Man, we gotta get back to the fact that life is sacred if we can take the lights up, I want to tell you something about who you are this morning. Maybe you just need a reminder in this crazy, broken world. You are special. Human beings are special. We are the unique creature made on day six of all that is majestic and mind-blowing in this universe, the only creature that is said to be made in God's image. Genesis 1, I'm gonna take you back for a second to verse 22. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you that uh, as human beings, we have a great privilege to be made in your image. So much teaching has flown against that in our society. Darwinian evolution, the lowering of the dignity of man and the elevating of the animal kingdom. And even though we are stewards of the earth and we appreciate animals, humans are unique, made in the image of almighty God, tied to their creator, casting his shadow on the earth. And Father, we pray that as we study this, this would just not be another Bible study. This would be a time of wonder, a time to really get back in touch with who we are because that has been lost largely in our society and there's many wandering people, broken, empty, depressed, wondering what their life really means and Genesis tells us, oh, your life has such rich meaning and such rich destiny. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to every soul that's here and just help us to be in awe that we are the jewel of your creation. And let us uh, worship you because of it. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Genesis 1.22, to set the context, God blessed them. Genesis 1.22, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. Genesis 1.23, and there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, key phrase, after their kind. Cattle, verse 24, and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so, and God made, 25, the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. I want you to notice that the author of Genesis keeps repeating a phrase, after their kind. And what we found in the study of uh, six million forms of plants and animals is simply this, that things reproduce after their kind. And that is the principle that God has put into this universe. Humans have human offspring. Cats give birth to cats. Dogs give birth to dogs, and things are made after their kind. Evolution has to take some huge leaps. First of all, evolution says that the planet that we're on and all the wonder of the galaxy we live in and the universe came from nothing. Now, in my simple mind, I will just give you simple categories. Here's the options you have. Since scientists now agree that the universe had a beginning and they may call it the Big Bang or whatever, you have two options now that we know the universe is not eternal. Option A, or maybe this is B, the universe came from nothing. There was nothing and then there was something. And the explanation in Darwinian evolution is that there was an explosion and stuff started swirling around, and it was about the size of a period at the end of a sentence. This is how they say it. And stuff started swirling around, and boom, it exploded, and boom, 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 planets started going out there. And they say, stuff started swirling so fast, that's why the planets are turning this way, but then Pastor Mel told us that some of them are turning the other way. <laughs> and somebody said, why are some of them turning this way and some of them that way? And somebody said, just to drive evolutionists crazy. <laughs> Probably for no other reason. And then they say, after everything exploded, it started raining. We don't know where that came from. And then as water collected, and Pastor Mel told you, told you they don't know where all this water could have come from, but they're thinking maybe what the theory was, uh, what was it, comets, and then, no, that can't work. But anyway, you had the water... And then lightning started to strike the water, and then we had some sort of living form come out of it. And then from that early life, where we don't know where that came from, everything else evolved from there into six million forms of plants and animals. And nothing's steering that. There's no mind, there's no will, there's no design, there's no intellect. It's all a cosmic accident and that's why everything's here. Your eyes, an accident. Your nose, your taste buds, your digestive system, your circulatory system, your involuntary organs, accident. You, accident. Nobody's steering. Option A. Option B. 
says God made everything. And he's an incredible designer outside of time. Now, let me ask you a question. Which option takes more faith? (laughs) Which option seems to be more scientific? Nothing and everything came, or God in the beginning made the heavens and the earth, and he's the awesome chemist, the awesome designer of everything. I was playing racquetball one day and I was witnessing to this guy. I'd been working on him for a while and we we're talking about the, the universe and the heavens declaring the glory of God and I broke into the gospel and it wasn't the first conversation. And we had an atheist in our group. He was pretty outspoken. He went to pagan festivals and wore t-shirts about it. So he's pretty out there about it and we would debate back and forth. And he had salt and pepper hair and he had it in a ponytail, a very good racquetball player, but you know, he was kind of obnoxious about his atheism. And so I was sitting outside on the little bench outside the racquetball court talking to this guy and the atheist was nervously buzzing around us. You could tell he just wanted to say something. <laughs> and finally, I said, do you see that? To my friend and he goes, yeah. And he looked up at the atheist's face and I said, that is the face of evolution. And he said, tell me more about God. Tell me more about God. <laughs> Sarcasm is biblical, isn't it? (laughs) Those are the options you've got. Because it's not eternal. So now, option C, which uh, Pastor Mel made reference to, and Francis Crick, apparently co-discoverer of DNA structure, believes some form of this, is when they looked at the DNA molecule and they looked at what some have called a Lilliputian world of complexity. You see, It's not just creation that testifies to God, although that is the big category. It's complexity. Life is complex. It's incredibly complex. That's part of how you should argue as a a theist, as a Christian. You should say the complexity of life screams for a designer. Human beings are more complex than the most complex supercomputer that exists. And your friends and family say, amen. It's very complex. Anyway, that was a joke. You you can flow with it. But think about the intricate design of the distance of the sun, moon, and stars, and how everything works together. Think of reproduction. Think of the self-healing of the body. Think of the wonder of your organs and your eyes and this massive tissue in your head which holds the memories of a lifetime. Even science tells us we only use 10% of our brain power. And all your friends and family know that very well, too. (laughs) Just kidding. No. Anyway. Do you know that the word science simply means knowledge? All science is is a pursuit of knowledge. It's trying to get to what's true. And what you have before you is what the Bible says happened. God made things after their kind. If Darwinian evolution is true and everything evolved from some little organisms in a soupy substance millions and millions of years ago, would you not expect that the fossil record would have millions of transitional forms in it? Because you'd have to have things that had, maybe it had one arm and then it evolved to two arms and then it evolved to something else. Where are all those fossils? They're nowhere. They can't find them because they don't exist. 
And then people try to come up and say, well, you know, maybe it was uh, something that happened to something and there was a disease or something and that's how things form. But usually those are negative situations. They're not positive. Do you realize that in schools today, the theory that I just laid out for you that everything in the universe came from nothing by accident and chance and every species of plant, animal, and humans evolved from a primordial substance with no direction, no will, no mind, no intellect directing it is the accepted science. And it sounds so scientific until you break it down, doesn't it? I'm not trying to oversimplify it. That's what it is. When you really break it down, that's what they believe. So I think it's important for Christians to know that uh, there's not a whole lot that they're going on. And I mentioned Francis Crick. Uh, the option C now is that aliens shot intelligent life down. And so they saw this Lilliputian world of all this complexity and they said, there's gotta be an intelligence behind it so we can't believe Genesis 1 because that doesn't work for us. So aliens is option C. Some intelligent life somewhere shot the first makings of life down here. We haven't met them yet, but the movie Contact, if you saw it with Jodie Foster, was a little bit going after that idea that aliens are responsible for life and one day we'll meet them and they'll appear in a form that is acceptable to us and then they'll explain how everything happened. <laughs> you see, the drama of creation is moving toward its final act and Genesis 1 is all about God. And it's all about how he made things. And one of the most compelling truths of Genesis 1 is the revelation of man's origin. It's been attacked, but mankind, you and I have a creator. You have a creator. He made you. In the overwhelming scope of the universe in which we live, the majesty of God's creation is man. The only thing made in his image. You are designed with value, with dominion over everything God made and the potential for an exhilarating destiny because the Bible ties Genesis to Revelation and it says what was lost in the fall will be regained in, Genesis, in Revelation 21 and 22. A new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. No more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief. The former things will have passed away and what God intended in the beginning will be restored at the end. They're connected. We did a memorial service for Glenn Govednik yesterday here in this sanctuary. Arlene was here at first service. I told Arlene, your husband's gonna rise. Because Jesus said, because I live, you will live. And the creator became one of us and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead in the very history in which we live. And he says, because I live, you will live. And you have an exhilarating destiny if you will follow that creator. But you have an option. And one of the things it means to be an image bearer is volition. That means choice. One of the things that I think it means to be human is to have a choice. God did not make you a pull doll where you just pull the string and I love you, I love you, I love you comes out. He didn't pre-program you as a robot with an automatic response. He wanted you to choose to love him and that's part of the privilege of being human. I'll give you a tennis analogy. You and I could go out to a tennis court and we could decide we're gonna play tennis. 
And I could take the ball and I could hit you the ball. What you do with it afterwards is up to you. The ball is proverbially in your court. Now you could do what one of our high school baseball players did. His name was Brad. He was pretty lazy. Unless the ball hopped up right into his glove, he would not move. So we'd be in batting practice. The ball would come right by Brad and he would go like this. And we'd say, Bradley, get the ball. Not going to bend over. Smack, another ball hit. Now, the beauty of being human is the ball's in your court. God can hit you the ball. You can hit it back, or if you decide to play another game, you can hit it over the fence. You're playing the wrong game, though. Drop your racket and go into your home run trot. <laughs> wrong game. I'm a Dodger fan. That may trouble some of you. But if you've been watching, the Angels have not been doing very well in these last couple of games. But we're not going to go there because we don't want a church split over baseball. However, I was listening to a Dodger broadcast this couple years back. If you, if you follow the Dodgers at all, Charlie Steiner is a longtime voice on radio. And Charlie Steiner was talking about a Dodger player that was on the disabled list, and he goes, he's on the DL, his status is day to day. And then he said, aren't we all? <laughs> and you know, the truth of the Bible, you guys, is part of being human is you have responsibility. You've been given the privilege of choice, but with the privilege of choice is the responsibility to live with your choice. And that's the dignity that God has placed in the universe. Everybody's asking, why? Why this choice for evil in Genesis 3? Why this option? Because God wanted love to be real. And he knew that the only way that you could be fully human and be dignified is to have your own choice. And the ball is in your court. He will not believe for you. He will not repent for you. Nor will he follow for you but he will give you the power. He will give you the grace to respond to the gospel. He will give you what you need to even repent of your sin and to see it for what it is. And he will even give you the power of the Holy Spirit to follow him. But you can fight him in this life, and there are a ton of people doing it. And they're hanging their hat on evolutionary theory, which is bankrupt. There's no evidence to it whatsoever. And you've heard evolutionists quoted by Pastor Mel saying, I will not believe that. Not on scientific facts, but just because they cannot accept God as creator. And Solomon said at the end of Ecclesiastes, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in him. And you, and you listen to scientists and you say, this is Romans 1. They exchanged, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for the image of corruptible man. Romans 1.25 says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Amen. And then people go with a religious option and they say, oh, I'm a God. You see, Humanity's been served up these lies and it's caused so many. Do you see them? They're walking around, they're confused about morality. 
They're confused about marriage. They're confused about life. They've been fed a pack of lies. And once you detach yourself from the creator, all you've got left is humanity. And that's humanity down at an animal plane. But God tells us, no, life has much more value than that. God, this is uh, verse 26, Genesis 1. The word God is Elohim. It's a plural form of the name God. It could be, uh, mean more than two. Then God said, now it's been talked about in Genesis 1, God said and it was, but now God has some dialogue going. Then God, Elohim, plural, said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Who was God talking to? If you read some orthodox commentaries on Genesis, and I call them orthodox because this is what some orthodox scholars are saying. They believe that Genesis 1 is an early heavenly court scene. And they, you'll, you'll find probably some equal uh, validity given to this view in recent commentaries. They say that there's a heavenly court scene and the us is the angels. And God, much like pagan mythology of creation accounts, they have their pagan court scenes with all these multiple gods thinking up the world and the universe. Well, this is a Jewish form, they say, of a heavenly court scene, but it's monotheistic, meaning it's one God, yet the angels are there, and God's, saying, God's speaking to the angels. And you will, you will see good, solid, orthodox theologians say this, but I don't hold it. I'll tell you why. God said, let us make man in what? Our image. We are not made in the image of angels, you guys. Now, angels may reflect the glory of God, but there's no Bible verses that we could go to that say humans are made in the image of angels. We're actually made in the image of God. So that doesn't make any sense. Here's the second argument. I think this will put it to rest. Let us make. That would mean that if the us is the angels, that would mean that the angels had a part in the creation of mankind. That makes absolutely no sense. So however you want to justify a heavenly court scene and that God is addressing angels, to me, just doesn't fit with the plain reading. Well, then who's he talking to? Well, to me, the only other option you have is that God is having a divine dialogue within the persons of the Holy Trinity. And I think that this is borne out in just the plain reading of the text. You'll notice in Genesis 3.22 and 11.7, there's the same type of divine dialogue. You might ask the question, since I brought it up, is there anywhere else in the Old Testament where it seems like the persons of the Trinity are talking to each other? Three Psalms, Psalm 2, 7, and 8, write them down for your notes. I will surely tell, Psalm 2, 7, and 8, of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Now that is quoted in the New Testament and that's Psalm 2. In Psalm 45, 6 and 7, which is quoted in Hebrews 1, it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. 
You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of joy above thy fellows. That's Psalm 45, 6 and 7. It's quoted in Hebrews 1. It drives Jehovah's Witnesses crazy because God the Father is calling God the Son God. You say, well, how do you make sense of that? Three and one and one and three? How can God be one and yet three? Well, explain this to me. How did God say, let there be light, and there was light? You know, some people say, I can't hold to the Trinity because I can't rationalize it in my mind. Hello? You believe that God spoke things into existence and you can't rationalize the Trinity in your mind? I don't even know how my car starts in the morning, but I believe it. Psalm 110, verse one, here's another one. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my feet until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Quoted several times in the New Testament. Divine dialogue between the persons of the Holy Trinity. God is three in one and one in three. Don't you think that he should be beyond what we could comprehend? He's plural, yet one. You know, H2O, when you put water in a test tube, It's called the triple point of water. It will freeze at the bottom, liquefy in the middle, and puff steam at the top. If water can be three and one at the same time, why not the one who made H2O? I mean, all analogies break down. I would never tell you to use an egg as a symbol of the Trinity. Well, you know, the egg has the outer shell and it has the white and the yolk. That's what God's like. No, no, please. Use the triple point of water, but don't use the egg analogy. (laughs) In Isaiah 6, verse 8, Isaiah sees this incredible image of God, uh, this, this vision of God in his throne room. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. You know what? John 12 says that what Isaiah saw was Jesus. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and a voice comes there. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. There's divine dialogue all over the Bible and God is commissioning Isaiah, I think within the triunity of God and God asks the question, maybe you can hear it for yourself this morning. Who, who will I send? Who will go for us? Have you raised your hand? Here I am, Lord. Send me. I will be your man in that company. I will be the girl in, in my, on my team or in my school that shows forth who you are. The Hebrew word for image is salem. It means to cast a shadow. And when we are uh, living out being image bearers, we are making known God in the world. Have you ever met somebody and you just say, you know what, that person reflects the love of Christ like I've never seen before. That's what it means to be an image bearer. Doesn't mean you look like God, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, but his communicable attributes, love, truth, the idea of righteousness, you can convey to the world. In fact, the Bible says, One of the things that God is doing is conforming you more into the image of his son. That tells me that even though the fall in some way marred the image, we can still recapture it. In fact, 
We can be made into that image from one degree of glory to another. And the more you stay in the shadow of God and you worship him in spirit and in truth and you praise him, the more you will convey his image. You might ask, was the image lost at the fall? No, but I think it was in some way muddied. Go to Genesis 9. Genesis 9. I've worn out Genesis because my pages are falling out of my Bible. Look at verse 6. Genesis 9.6, Noah's getting off the ark. God makes a declaration. 9.6, he says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Here's capital punishment. And here's why. For in the image of God, he made man. God says capital punishment is legitimate because man is made in God's image. If you are driving in your car, as I was this morning, and you saw, what are those things that are always dead in the street? It's a possum, right? Do you know why, you know the proverbial philosophical question of our time is why the chicken crossed the road? You guys all know that? Well, the answer is very simple. The chicken crossed the road to show possums it was possible. (laughs) Okay, so now you have that question answered. (laughs) Now, if I drove by a dead possum, I look and I feel bad for it, and believe me, I have very much empathy for animals. You would consider me an animal lover. I have this 30-pound dog. I love her, and she loves me. She's a wonderful creation of God. In fact, there are some days that I wish I were a dog. <laughs> Maybe just for 24 hours. Because you know how they are, right? They just lay around, you know, scratch at the door, let me out. And they're always happy. <laughs> no matter what, you can lock them out all day long. You feed them that terrible dry dog food. Who knows what's in that stuff? <laughs> and still, <laughs> they're happy to see you. Do you know that the Hebrew word for dog is Caleb? I'm serious. And the word means all heart. That's the same reaction I got at second service. (laughs) Aw. That's what a dog, doesn't that capture a dog? They're just absolutely all heart. But if I was driving in my car to church this morning, and instead of seeing a dead possum, possum, I saw a dead baby, my reaction would be completely different. You know, we, we speak of murder, but when we say murder, we're talking about human beings. We're not talking about the death of an animal. Yet I told you earlier, millions of babies are killed in the United States every day under the legalized abortion law, and a guy killed a lion. I'm not saying what he did was right, but he killed a lion in Africa on some hunting expedition, and apparently he's going to be prosecuted. But Planned Parenthood will still get our money. There's something wrong Do you guys understand what's going on here? There's something wrong with us. When you extract God from the equation, you lose sense of dignity. God created man, verse 27. The word for man is Adam. It's where we get Adam. He created man, Genesis 127, in his own image. Notice the repetition. And Genesis 9, 6 was to show you that even though the fall happened, we still retain the image of God. In fact, uh, just to skip ahead for a second, James says these words, listen to this. He says, no one can tame the tongue, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, 
and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God or the likeness of God. That's James 3, 9. Here's the point. The image of God has not been lost, marred, muddied, but it, it will be fully retained when we are made like him. You see, brethren, we don't know what we will be, but we know when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, we're anticipating a day when all of that junk will be gone and we will reflect the image of God more clearly. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's no mention in any of the creation of the animals about male and female, but when humans are mentioned, now you have male and female. Both created in the image of God. One man and one woman. Look at uh, Genesis 3. This is uh, right after the fall, verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Because Genesis 3.19, from it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Adam or Adama means the dust. Adam was taken from the dust of the earth. He's tied in some real sense to the earth. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of how many? All the living, one man and one woman. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Right after the fall, they were naked and ashamed. An early picture of the gospel. We'll talk about this more. God apparently killed animals and clothed them. That's what he does for those who are in Jesus Christ. Here's my point. Mankind is special, and male and female are special in reflecting God's glory. There's a gift of singleness. Go back to Genesis 1. But you know what? I think one of the greatest expressions of the image of God is found in a husband and a wife becoming one in the context of marriage. My wife is totally different from me in many ways, and that's by design. My wife can multitask, and I am mono-minded. She tries to talk to me during Dodger games. It's not happening. I have to hit that pause button. It's an act of love. I hit the pause button, and then I can hear her, and she knows. She'll, she came up to me recently, and she said, you're not hearing me, right? And I said, no, but let me pause it. And now that's good. Men can focus on certain tasks and get stuff done, and, and that's a good thing. My wife, stereo-minded. She could be stirring the soup, talking on the phone, and tell me where my socks are. It's an amazing gift of God. Honey, where's my socks? Third drawer down on the right side next to that red hat that you have since 1987. <laughs> Thank you, honey. Male, it wasn't an angel hat. <laughs> That was good, that was, that was good. Can you strike that from the record comment? <laughs> That's all right. Marriage is sacred. When a man and woman come together in the context of marriage, it communicates something. It communicates God's image in a fuller way. 
It is sacred. If you have a sexual relationship with somebody outside your marriage, you've taken what God intended to be sacred and you've muddied it. God is a God of forgiveness. I made a bunch of huge mistakes in my late teen and early 20 years, but I'll tell you this. Everyone that you have a sexual relationship with, it's a soul-to-soul relationship. Every person that you are intimate with will be imprinted on your soul for life. We have cheapened it. We say, oh, it's no big deal. You sleep with whoever, but no. In the context of marriage, God made them male and female, and when they come together, they not only reflect more the image of God, but they communicate something even deeper. Christ's relationship with his church. We're messing with sacred things, you guys. We truly are. One man and one woman. R. Kent Hughes comments. He says, verse 27 is the first poetry in the Bible, consisting of three lines, each with four stresses and three repetitions of the verb bara, created. This is the high point toward which God's creativity from the opening verse is directed. So consider this. Though you could travel a hundred times the speed of light, past countless yellow-orange stars to the edge of the galaxy and swoop down to the fiery glow located a few hundred light years below the plane of the Milky Way. Though you could slow down to examine the host of hot young stars luminous among the gas and dust. Though you could observe close up the protostars poised to burst forth from their dusty cocoons. Though you could witness a star's birth in all your stellar journeys. You would never see anything equal to the birth of a human being. For a tiny baby girl or boy is the apex of God's creation. (laughs) It's all right. Got it? But the greatest wonder of all is that a child is created in the image of God. The Imago Dei, the child once was not, now as a created soul, he or she is eternal. He or she will exist forever. When the stars of the universe fade away, that soul shall still live. Jesus put it this way, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Did you know you're eternal? Did you know you have a soul? Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill your body, and after that he has no power over you. Fear him who can ruin your soul and cast it into the deepest part of Hades. The soul will go back, the spirit will go back to God who gave it, and you will live, my friend, in one of two places forever. And you get to decide whether you want to be with your creator forever or whether you want to be separated from him forever. This is the truth of scripture. One of the beauties of all that I could say about what it means to be an image bearer, I will give you some things that the reformer said as we wind down here. The reformers thought it was a lot lot about your spirit, but it's this. It's moral consciousness. It's the ability to think abstractly. It's the ability to reason. It's an understanding of beauty and emotion. And above all, what it means to be an image bearer is the capacity for worship. One of the greatest expressions that you are an image bearer of God is your worship of God. To be connected to your creator. 
You are God's work of art, Ephesians 2.10. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that you should walk in, in them. You are God's work of art. Just look around the room. We're all different. We have different hair color, different voices, different skills and gifts. God is a God of variety. There's like seven plus billion people on the planet and we all look different, although they say some of us have twins somewhere. But think of the uniqueness of God. And God not only did that, made you his work of art, but he even allowed us to eat. Isn't eating a great blessing of God? I mean, Mel, you said this. I think your daughter said, he gave us taste buds. I mean, it could have been an injection that you just take for further nourishment, just plug into this machine. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, now you can go. No, you get to eat. It's glorious. God blessed them and God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, 28, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth. Every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. It would appear that in the early days of creation, I think it's clear, everybody, there was no carnivores. It was all vegetarianism. If you're gonna go get a double-double after this, don't worry about it, because God said that was okay now too. But it appears in the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem, that we'll go back to that state. That's why you'll be able to have a pet lion. They won't eat meat anymore. There'll be vegetarians in the afterlife or in the new heavens and new earth or the new Jerusalem. And there'll be at least 31 additional flavors of fruits. I've got that. I don't even know if that's true, but. Uh. <laughs> and think about fruits. They have seed in them so they continue to produce an inexhaustible food supply. You know who created that? God. So our food wouldn't run out. And for thousands of years, man has been living on seed-bearing fruits and vegetables. And to every beast of the earth, 30, and to every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I have given every plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And man is now the apex of God's creation. And one of the ways that he bears the image of God the most is through worship. We're about to take the elements of the Lord's Supper. And when we do, we're gonna express worship to our maker. And it's one of the greatest things that you can do. You see, God made you his work of art. You are special. Some of you have been depressed. Some of you are tired, you're poured out, you're confused, you wonder if life's worth living. Can I tell you this? You are special. Just to be human is a privilege. You could have been something else. <laughs> right? I mean, it's possible. You could have been a fruit fly. <laughs> Two-day existence and... People trying to swat at you all the time. And do you know that in reincarnation, <laughs> they teach that you could potentially come back as something else non-human because of your karma. That's scary. 
but it's not true. To be human is a privilege. And the Bible says one of the things it means to be human is to be God's work of art. I have a, did I tell you about my wife artist in this service? I haven't. My wife is an artist. Her name is Brenda. She does a lot of the graphic design around the church. And uh, I asked her one day, based upon Ephesians 2.10, that we're God's work of art. I said, when you make something, honey, when you create a picture, if an artist does a sculpture, what is the artist trying to accomplish in what they create? Without hesitation, my wife says, an artist is always trying to express themselves through their art. Alfredo, you could talk about this. But she said, it's not only expressing yourself through your art, it's wanting to evoke an emotion from those who witness your art. And I went, aha. That's exactly what God has done. He's an artist, and what does he want to do? Express himself through you that the emotion that comes back from those who see your life would be, wow, there's a God, and I'd like to know him too. That's what it means to be an image bearer. Father, thank you for your love for us, and as we get ready to take now of the Lord's Supper, I know that there are some in here who have had a heavy week. We just had Joe Osborne go home to be with the Lord, and we lift up Maddie to you, Lord, and we know life throws us curveballs, and we have challenges, and our emotions can mess with us, and we can deal with difficult people and circumstances, health challenges, so many things that come at us, Lord. But you are a faithful God. And I think that one of the clear messages that you want to communicate this morning or this afternoon is that the folks that are here are special to you. In fact, you loved us so much that not only did you make us, you came to save us. You didn't leave us alone. You didn't just wind up the universe and say good luck. You didn't destroy us all and just start over. You, you saved us. The God who made everything came down to redeem us. Lord, that is such an incredible wonder. It seems like thank you is just so <laughs> insufficient, but as we come to your table this morning as the people of God, would you just touch us afresh with your Holy Spirit? Would you extend your hand of healing to those who need emotional, spiritual, physical healing? Would you, since you are our great intercessor, would you give us the strength to deal with something that we've had heavy on our hearts, something that's been weighing us down, maybe even hopelessness for some? Would you fill us afresh with your power Remind us of how much we are loved. We are Im image bearers of God and you're gonna finish what you started in us, Lord. Thank you that you're not only our creator but our redeemer and savior. And as we come to your table, we come in gratitude and worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.